Welcome to Supporting the Spectrum, the Thompson Center's podcast series on all things autism. We aim to bring you the most up-to-date information on autism research, services, and supports. I'm Gina Randolph, faculty in the Special Education Department at the University of Missouri and part of the Training and Education Division at the Thompson Center. Today we're talking with Leanne Lowry, occupational therapist and clinical professor at the University of Missouri. I'm so glad you're here today because families everywhere are getting ready to start back to school. So I thought we'd dive in and talk about a common back to school challenge, homework, and more specifically, written work. Can you start us off by explaining some of the reasons why homework and written work can be such a struggle? I think sometimes we tend to oversimplify things like homework and written work, and we just look at the the product, the worksheet, the math sheet, and see just a few answers or write a sentence, and we don't think about all the things that contribute to a person's ability to get that information down. So a lot of different factors play into a student's ability to be successful. Things like attention, so am I able to pay attention to what's happening around me and to cue into the right things? My motor ability, so am I able to use my hand and put information down in a way that's smooth and coordinated and in a timely way? Am I able to understand what's being said to me? So listening to the teacher or or directions, um, am I able to interpret and figure out what needs to be done? Visual information is really important, so am I looking at things? Um, does it make good sense to me? I think the big thing is, is that people don't realize that it's complex, and so when we just get down to finishing you know, the product, we've overlooked all those other elements and not considered how that might be playing a role in terms of a person's ability to approach. I really appreciate that framework to start because I think a lot of times the assumption is just behavior. And the kid is struggling with homework, and so whatever that, that behavioral output looks like, that frustration or, or struggle or hardship with a task can just be viewed through the lens of this child is having behavior. And a lot of what you just described, we kind of lump in this category of executive functioning skills. So can you just talk a little bit more about executive functioning in general? So executive functioning is sort of the buzzword. We hear a lot about it now, although I'm assuming that for most families, it's probably a fairly new term for them. And it's a complicated term because executive functioning is something that starts, you know, in very young children and is a variety of skill sets and things that sort of grow and develop over time. And it's something that's a little harder to see. Most of us or all of us are using executive functioning skills all day long. So things like planning, looking at your calendar and saying, oh, I've got to be here at this time. That means I need to go ahead and have my lunch at 11. Oh gosh, the traffic is bad at lunchtime. I better leave a little earlier because it takes me longer to get that to that location at that time of day. Oh gosh, I forgot I have this meeting. I need to get up early and take my shower um, a little earlier than I normally do. Only one cup of coffee this morning. (laughs) So temporal awareness, you know, just time. Problem solving is another big part of executive functioning. So when we're met with a challenge, being able to look at it and figure out, all right, what do I need to do about this? Or is there someone else I can get to help me with this? So just thinking through and making some decisions. Organization and sequencing are other aspects of executive functioning. So again, you know, your morning routine is your morning routine. You don't think too much about it, but yet a lot of people struggle with that. So 
just knowing, oh gosh, I should probably go ahead and you know, get my clothes laid out in the morning because I know I have a lot going on. So in my morning routine, I always get up. I like to have a cup of coffee. Then I want to have my breakfast and then I take my shower. So just thinking through all of those things. So executive functioning is all of those things. Now in the kid world, it's the same things, but just at a little different levels. Um, when we say it's time to get ready for school, for kids it may be much more difficult to sift through the, all the steps they need to do to get ready to go to school. Or, you know, for instance, a lot of times I've talked with families about chores, you know, go clean your room. Okay, what does clean your room mean exactly? So kids know maybe they need to go to the room, they know they need to do some things, but maybe they got to looking at their My Little Pony and they got stuck there and they got to playing with the dollhouse and then an hour later they didn't get the room clean and the parents are like, why didn't you clean your room? That sounds really familiar. <laughs> yes, it is. So you know, just not being able to see the whole picture, not understanding all the steps. So executive functioning is all of those things and it applies to schoolwork as well. So thinking through homework, all of those types of activities. I've heard it described before as the thinking and doing skills, the, the pieces that glue everything else together, those parts that we don't think about. I mean, it is helpful to consider all of those aspects because when we think about homework, homework management, it really taxes a lot of those things that you listed there, the organization, time management, focus, knowing what to do, kind of having that order of steps in place. And if we take it a step further, and we apply it to written work, I think that those skills get taxed probably even more so. So if we focus a little bit in on that writing, can you explain a little bit more what else influences written work? What else could be playing a role there in some of that difficulty? So written work is really complex. Obviously, language is the center of written work. So ability to understand language and to use language to put thought out, uh, whether that's thoughts that we say or share in that kind of way, or whether those are thoughts that we keyboard or write. It's also been able to take in other people's thoughts or information and sort of sift through that and make good sense of it. I think that language literacy skills, pre-literacy skills are the center of writing. A lot of times, again, people get very focused on the output part. So how do you hold your pencil? Are your letters on the line? Oh, gosh, that letter's too big. Instead of thinking about all those other pieces going in and recognizing what is a letter, what does a letter represent, and how do I put letters together, um, and how do I form thought and put those thoughts down. All of those things come together. Obviously, the written part is the mechanics of it, but you know, most of us are really used to using the keyboard and even our fingers for texting and things like that. So there's a lot of different ways that we can output information. Hearing all of that, it makes so much sense. I've worked with families before, and, and I've seen the frustration of, I know that the child can write. You know, I see them physically write things that they are interested in or excited about, but as soon as they have homework, they, they won't write. And again, this is kind of teasing out that, you know, is it a behavioral problem or concern, or does it tie back to the executive functioning, the understanding, the complexity of the subject matter language and how all of that fits together? Um, so very helpful to hear. It is helpful to understand why a problem is there when we start thinking about supporting it, because our supportive approach might be different based on that. So let's kind of flip a little bit here and talk about support. Can you explain what it means to take a strengths-based approach? Yes, I think by nature, clinicians, teachers, uh, other people who are in the business of 
helping kids and youth and adults with disabilities, autism specifically. Uh, we're trained to find out what's wrong, what's not working well. Let, let me run this assessment. Oh gosh, look what I discovered. When maybe we should start with what's going well? What are you good at? Um, let's talk about that. I mean, I'm grateful as a neurotypical person that everybody doesn't spend a lot of time talking to me about what I'm not good at because I really wouldn't like the list all that much and I'd find it sort of depressing and sad. Uh, so I think sometimes we lose sight of that when we talk about individuals with disabilities. So a strength-based approach just says, let's figure out what you're good at, what do you like to do, and let's try to capitalize on that. And then again, I think bringing that into whatever we're trying to do you know, sometimes we're trying to figure out what is wrong or not going well, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if we can infuse strengths into that, then that might make it easier for that person to engage, to be motivated, to want to give it a try. Uh, because, again, if we were faced with only the hard things, you know, if first things we got up every day, someone said, well, let's do all the things that you're terrible at, and let's spend a little while on it, you'd be sad <laughs> and want to go back to bed. Oh, for sure. Can you give a couple of examples of what that could look like related to homework or related to written work? Yeah, so for writing in particular, I think sometimes we give writing prompts without really thinking through what are some things that really might be engageable or interesting for this uh, individual, for this child, for this teenager. And let's go with that And because uh, I'm really more concerned at your ability to express thought or idea. And if I need to teach you more the mechanics of writing, well, let's use something that you want to write about as a starting point. It can be really simplistic things, too. Um, I had a boy we worked with um, a few years back who was really interested in clocks and time. We use clocks for a lot of things. Clocks are very helpful for teaching lots of different things. So even just little strategies. If it's Thomas the Tank, then bring him in. Um, so just trying to figure out ways to infuse that into everyday learning activities I think is really critical. Let's talk a little bit more about supports in general. For families, I think sometimes it can be difficult to know exactly what they should be advocating for with their child in the school, whether it be just personally one-on-one with the teacher or more formally through the IEP. Because some things that are asked for short-term have one impact, but then long-term can have a different impact. So, for example, I'm thinking of like short-term, reducing the workload might be a better immediate path for just family coping and functioning and quality of life in general, but long-term that reduction of work can cause other challenges for the child. Um, so I guess my first question here is, how important is it that a child complete and turn in their homework in general? Should it be uh, mandated or what's considered in that decision? It does depend. I think every learner is unique. Everybody's path is their own. I think looking as best that people can to try to figure out what's the path that this child is on, where we're going educationally. And I know, understandably, families don't like that sometimes because it'd be very easy to sometimes pigeonhole people into a box that is not where they're going to end up. But to the extent that we can, I think we should be thinking more about where do we think this child is going and then making some decisions about what best practices might be appropriate. I don't agree with reducing workload just for the sake of only addressing stress. I think we should consider it whenever a child's becoming overwhelmed or it's becoming an issue for them. But again, looking you know, forward thinking, if you have a child or an individual that you think is going to go forward and you know, potentially be college bound or even in place of employment, 
I think it's really critical that sometimes we help kids learn some persistence and we also teach them self-regulation skills. So even though I'm frustrated, how can we work through that? I think it's a balance of both, um, working towards and building a ability to get through and persist for most kids, I think is appropriate. Some kids, I think less is fine and perfectly okay. And I think taking that that viewpoint makes sense if we're really loading up on the preventative strategies or those front-end things that you talked about. If we're building on strengths and supports, what else can we do to support? Is there technology that can support in some way or tools or systems? So let's dive into that a little bit. Since writing seems to be one of those key pieces that is frustrating, what are alternatives to writing that we might not come straight to mind. Depends a lot on the on the learner. So um, for people who are verbal, obviously there's alternatives that allow for telling a story, you know, or sharing with a partner. And maybe the partner is stronger in terms of written output, but the other person can contribute their ideas and thoughts. Using pictures, I think, can be a really powerful tool. So could the person, the child, take pictures with a phone? and then use that as a representation of some of their ideas or thoughts. Concept mapping or you know, idea mapping is another strategy. So sometimes single words in making connections, drawing lines between things is another more not necessarily simplistic way to address written output, but it can be easier than just producing sentences or paragraphs. Um, so those are a few strategies that I would suggest. Obviously, technology is another really important one. I appreciate you saying that piece too. Technology can, it can make things so much easier. There's definitely the voice to text capabilities on just about every device we have nowadays that we can vocalize the story and get it out, then it can be captured in, in print. What are some of those decisions though? You know, what should families be thinking about that balance of if I do want to look into an alternative way or if I do want to capitalize on technology so the output is there and so there's an opportunity to share and engage in a way that's not so frustrating, what do they need to be thinking about in those decisions? So I think you should always start with low tech first. I think unfortunately in our society, we see all the glitzy, super high-tech types of things, and they are cool. And that doesn't mean that people can't benefit from them. But that's not where we should start. We should start with low-tech and look at ways to explore and support for a variety of reasons. One, of the cost is important, um, and technology changes and advances more rapidly than we can even consider. So the least amount of support is always your best bet. I would say that having a balance of starting technology sooner than later for some of our kids who we know are struggling, um, especially those kids who have a lot more difficulty with the written output, so the motor piece might be really hard. I always think back about a boy that I worked with not that many years ago, and uh, you know we spent some time on letter legibility it just wasn't going anywhere and he hated it and I hated myself for making him work <laughs> on it. And he's just so much better with technology and he's going to continue to be that way. That said, I think we always want to reassure families that it doesn't mean we necessarily abandon all writing. I think that having some basic writing skills for most people is really important. On the flip side of that, also helping people understand that if a person, a child, a teen does not have good understanding about letters, what letters represent, then written output is probably not where you need to be. So focus, you know, I always tell families, 
if you're going to pick a place to put your eggs, or you know which basket to put your eggs, put them in the reading basket first, because we can get around output. Output is the way that technology can really advance or accelerate our ability to get that out, but always focus in on reading as your primary. Can you jump back just a little bit and give some examples of what you mean by low tech? Yeah, so so good examples of low tech texting um, is actually a pretty easy low tech approach because it's just a keyboard that you're pecking out. Again, taking pictures with a phone is a low tech way. Using alternatives to writing, you know, sometimes I look at things like alternative sources, so chalk for early writers, other media that might be more interesting but is engaging to the person, so it doesn't always have to be a paper or pencil. Um, sometimes we use low-tech things like wiki sticks on paper to help with understanding where the line is, using paper that's got more color on it so it differentiates where spacing might need to be. A lot of times low-tech is things like using a finger spacer or other things just to help a child for those types of easy issues. So there's a lot of different you know, sort of low-tech alternatives that are out there. So now we have some ideas of what can be done to support. What about just the homework routine in general? Do you have recommendations for parents out there? Because like you said, it's, it's this balance. You know, we, we want to support kids. We want to kind of help them grow through these challenges. And yet at the same time, we want families to have a good quality of life in the evening. So are there any tips or tricks that are going to help with that piece of it? So yeah, it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier, I think, so just thinking about maybe having, you know, going to sort of eggs and baskets. So if you thought, well, I've got one basket, which is skills. So math skills, writing skills, social studies skills, science skills. And then you've got the executive planning, you know, executive functioning skills. You want both of those things to come along. So you have to have a balance a little bit of, okay, let's promote these other skills to help you be a good learner, a good student. But I also need to be teaching you these organizational strategies. So I would say that the most important things that we need to do is start building organizational skills and planning skills with students from a very early age. So young children, setting aside consistent times for when we're going to do some work. Obviously making that reasonable depending on the child's age or their learning abilities. Setting a timer, letting them know a clear boundary about how long we're going to do some, some homework. Having a good work area, so a place that's comfortable, that's inviting, um, that doesn't feel like torture if you have to go <laughs> to it. Recognizing that kids need to have frequent breaks is really important. Helping them start with the hardest things first is really important because we all rather get the hard things over with first, not last. Because there's just all this buildup and anxiety about, oh no, and then eventually I'm going to have to do this one thing I don't like. So trying to get that over with first. Using a lot of visuals, so checklists, um, even if it's pictures, pulling pictures off when we know that we're done, giving kids a framework for knowing how many times we might have to do something, I think can be really important. You know, some of the things that we do might show three times that you need to practice writing your name. So then they know, okay, well, only two more left. So just using that, and I would also say for families, Consistency is really the most critical thing you can do. So do less, but do it consistently. I think the mistake, and you know, certainly as a parent, I've been guilty of this too. Um, we see all the things that we need to do, and we try to do all of them, and then we all get burned out, and we throw our hands up in the air because we couldn't do all of them, and the kid is frustrated, and we're frustrated too. So start small. 
with one thing. So we're just going to focus in on, you know, trying to get a little bit of work done for 10 minutes every night. Maybe we're going to build. So just starting small, trying to build success, really trying to make it a positive experience for the kid. And then helping them be a part of that process, I think, is really important. So try not to rescue or step in too soon. You know, asking kids questions like, I don't know, what do you think we should do? Or why don't you try first and then I'll help you? Or you try two times and then I'll come and see how things are going. So just encouraging them to be problem solvers, to be persisters, I think are important skills. Oh, that is such a great list of of things to start with to approach this. So last question, I I always like to end on this question. Do you have any go-to resources, whether it be for parents or or for educators out there who who are kind of setting up and sending home the homework? What resources would you share? One I just ran across that I thought was excellent, it came from a therapist that works in a school district. Uh, We had a teenager we were working with on organization planning, not getting his homework turned in, and uh, she recommended we look at Teachers Pay Teachers. And we ran across some really great organizational strategies that we started using with this teenager, and they were very helpful. And we could customize them for him, and they only cost a couple of dollars, and we could use them again with other kids. So that's a great resource. On the technology side, uh, Missouri Technology Consortium is available. Obviously, a lot of occupational therapists and districts are usually the technology kind of go-to, so reaching out to the district therapist and asking them for ideas or input, very often they can say, oh, here's something that's a good place to start or try. There's a lot of extensions that are on our normal devices, so iPads, iPhones, Chromebooks have extensions that are really helpful for kids. A lot of apps, Grammarly, for instance, is um, a nice app. There's some other ones. Cami is one that's been shared with me by another district therapist. I'm going to draw a blank on some of the others, but there's just a lot of different things. If you have early writers, I really like Letter School. So for my young writers, you know, preschoolers and early elementary, um, it's a nice app because it provides more or less errorless learning, so it doesn't let you form the letter incorrectly, but it's a really fun and engaging app. Um, It's got cool sound effects, and I've had a lot of kids that have really enjoyed it. So if kids are going to be holding a device anyway, then let's do this instead. Lots of great things that are out there. And then there's some other resources for older students as well on executive functioning that are available. Again, another great list. And I I love your tip to start with the district therapist because they're going to know your child. They're going to know them well, and they're also going to know what's easily available through the district. So all wonderful points. Thank you so much for talking with us today. You're welcome. Before we wrap up today, we did want to let you know that registration for our 16th annual autism conference is live. This year, the conference will be held on October 14th and 15th in St. Louis, Missouri. We have some world-class speakers who will be sharing the latest research and best practice methods on a variety of topics, including new trends in early intervention, diversity and inclusion, genome sequencing, ethical decision-making, and so much more. The conference is geared to clinical providers, educators, and applied behavior analysts. There's also a parent-focused conference day, too. Though we're scheduled to meet in person, and we're excited to see everyone there, the health and safety of all attendees and speakers is our number one priority. Should the situation with COVID not improve or get worse, the conference will be moved online. For more information about the conference, including how to register, go to tcautismconf.com. That's T-C-A-U-T-I-S-M-C-O-N-F dot com. Mm-hmm.